Hello and welcome to another episode of Tell Great Stories, the podcast that looks back at some of Unbound Theatre's past projects and productions. Today uh, I'm your host Robert Aldington and we're going to talk about two productions which were sponsored by local council. Uh, The first we're going to talk about is A Brief History of Britain, which was performed in the King's Head in Aylesbury, supported by them and also supported by Aylesbury Vale District Council. And the second production we're going to talk about is Captain Christmas, which was performed in Friars Square Shopping Centre and sponsored by Aylesbury Town Council. And I'm joined today by, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, folks. Hello, I am Gareth. I played one of the hosts in A Brief History of Britain and was one of the writers on Brief History of Britain and Captain Christmas. Hello, I'm Katie Herbert and I played Captain Christmas. Hello, I'm Erica and I played the nefarious Dr. Sprout (laughs) in Captain Christmas. Uh, I'm Emily. I played many characters in A Brief History of Britain. I'm Andy Shaw and I played Bob and the spirit of Christmas dinner. Excellent. So uh, let's go ahead then and have a chat about the brief hist- A Brief History of Britain, which was performed at the King's Head. Uh, Gareth, uh, so you were author of the show and the director as well, I think. How, how did the show come about? What prompted the, uh, the show itself? Well, it was something that we were sort of asked to do um, at the King's Head, and that was a real key part of the show itself, was that it wanted to show a connection to the venue and sort of draw out some of the historical facts about the venue. Um, so Dario, who is the other writer on it, um, went and did a lot of research on sort of key events that happened throughout history that might be connected to the King's Head. Um, and then we sort of went away and thought, well, how can we get both what we know quite a lot about in terms of history um, into it, and then also um, how can we get these facts about the king's head. So I'm quite a fan of ancient history, so I knew we wanted to do something about Roman Britain, but then we had, for example, one of the facts that we found out about the king's head was that they had an um, act of parliament clock, which is a special clock that was installed in pubs when there was a clock tax introduced and fewer personal clocks people had. So that then inspired us to do a a sort of sketch about that. So it was a sort of combination between what we knew a reasonable amount, amount about in terms of history and then what these facts about the king's head then prompted us to write further sketches on. Right. So, the, I mean, the, the history is, well, it's a brief history, but it is a fairly full history starting from, uh, it started from Boudicca, didn't it? And then... Uh, through the, the Romans, uh, then we had something about uh, uh, 1066, yeah. or the Bayer Tapestry, then the Tudors, Stuarts. So how did you choose these various periods of history then apart? Was it, as you're saying, it was a mix of what you could link to the pub and also your own interests? Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, as you say, a link to those, those facts and then what we were quite clued up on in terms of what we knew enough about to make sure that we were putting actual facts in there rather than just having you know, the pure sketch. And then I think we tried to pick the really key moments in history. So anything about the history of Britain is probably going to have a bit on Henry VIII in there because he's the probably the most famous 
bit of you know English history that every school child will remember the six wives, for example. So you've got to get him in there somewhere. And yeah, as I say, I was a big fan of uh, Roman times. Bayeux Tapestry again, just such an iconic piece of British history. We had to had to kind of get something on that. Um, so yeah, it was just get the key points, get the ones linked to the king's head, and then add in anything else that we got a key interest in. Yeah, and of course, you know, including right the way through to <laughs> Alistair in the Spice Girls dress, which you know, right the way through to key. Alistair in the Spice Girls dress, which you know, to his credit, he did a, did go ahead with and yeah, really get into that and sort of play to the character of that really well. So superb, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Emily, uh, you you played uh, a few parts in the show. What was your favourite uh, part of the show, and which characters did you play? Can you remember? Um, my favourite part of the show was definitely being the caterpillar. <laughs> in the last decades bit because i remember watching it and i was like as the parts were being divvied out and, and we were being told who we were i was like please let me be the caterpillar please let me be the caterpillar please let me be the caterpillar and they were like oh you can play the millennium bug and i'm like yes <laughs> um which was very exciting for me obviously that's pretty exciting um yeah but the i really enjoyed many parts of it because i really enjoy history and performing but what i found quite interesting is my favorite sketches weren't the ones I was in um I really liked the Boudicca sketch and I really liked the clock tax clock ta- clock tax sketch um just because there's a thing about performing that you don't switch off when you're off stage and you you tend to watch what's happening on stage and that's one of those ones where you really watch it and engage with it rather than going where's my costume where's my costume which is normally throughout that performance is your main form yeah. because it's so quick. It's half an hour. I think I played four. There were five costume changes, and they're really quick. I love the Bayer tapestry. Uh, you mm. know, to do that as kind of a cinema, a cinema moment was uh, was great. It was genius. But yeah, I, I love the clock tax as well because I didn't know about the clock tax. So the great thing about mm. this production is that I learned quite a lot of, of history because I. I confess I didn't really pay any attention to history when I was at school. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it was a, a good, uh, a good fun show to, to be in. Mm-hmm. Now we did, um, we did an audio version of the show, and also the, the show was reprised in uh, in the twenty four hour show in twenty twenty. So, <laughs> how easy was it to get back into the groove of what we were doing in those uh, in those repeat shows, uh, Emily? Do you think? I tend to find once I've learned something, I've learned it. And it's there, which can be a good thing and can be a bad thing. Because <laughs> when you come back to it, you're like, I know exactly how I did it before. But I like coming back to things because you get to play with them a bit more yeah. and you're more confident. You're like, yep, I've done this. I know this. And you're like, yeah. And then they're like, also, oh, we've added some new sketches. And you're like, ah, <laughs> of course you have. We can't just do the same thing again. Yeah. Um. So I like that. I like the way you've got what you know and something new because you're coming in with a lot more confidence and feeling a lot more settled yeah yeah was there anything that you changed or adapted the second time round, or was it like just you know putting on a pair of slippers you just get back into it and you you know it's it's like going home in a way isn't it sometimes yeah i know things did change but i couldn't exactly tell you what exact little thing did change i think when you come back to sketches and when you come back to any piece it will evolve naturally and it will grow and it will change without you really noticing what you're bringing that's new to it as such. I wouldn't say we did anything massively dramatically different, 
Um, I hope we haven't because I don't <laughs> remember it. Um, <laughs> I, do, I don't think we did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as you come in, you're coming in with a different perspective and a different knowledge. And I think even a slight different confidence will change what you're doing. Did you change anything for the other productions, Gareth, on on the writing side? Or was it, did we use the same script? I can't recall, we were off the same script each time. I mean, obviously there were the new sketches. And so there was um, just slight tweaks to some of the dialogue between the two hosts, just to, to take count of where we are in the timeline and sort of do jumps at different places but no i would say the the meat of the existence stuff was pretty much kept the um kept the same and with similar sort of performances and then the great thing about the way we did it was we then had all of the new stuff the new sketches to bring that freshness to it and give all, everyone sort of something new to you know to do and sink their teeth into so you sort of got that honed revised version of what you'd already done but you still had a new challenge and new stuff you know, new exciting stuff to do. Erica and Gareth, you on the same day you were uh, we were performing that the uh, brief history. You were performing the top uh, entries in the five hundred words competition. So tell us a little bit about that uh, the live final and the films of the stories that, that were posted online later in the year. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I found it really, really lovely. Um, it was it was a really kind of lovely afternoon um, um, to be able to do that. And I think one of the biggest memories I've got is when I was on the stage and reading the stories and looking out and being able to see the kids who'd written their story actually hear it being performed. And their little wow, faces. Yeah, yeah. Um, the One girl in particular, she was absolutely gobsmacked um, to hear her word be brought to life on stage. Um, and, and I think that was really, really yeah. lovely. They were, they were genuinely happy to... And all the stories that we had, they were, they were they were great. There was a wide range of themes and um, different age groups. So there was like comedy, and there was some various, almost like metaphorical, um, almost poetry or poetical stories there as well. And um, yeah, I think to I think for the kids to be able to hear their words performed on stage, I think that was the biggest thing for them. And they were they were absolutely overwhelmed by it. I think even remember we had one family come up to us afterwards, Gareth, and they were very very enthusiastic and and they'd really really enjoyed listening to it and they were a bit overwhelmed by by it all so that yeah it was it was really really lovely and then the 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 filming of it um again that was something completely different because we had it it was like fulfilling my 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 ambition and dream of being on the cbb's bedtime story you know Derek Derek, (laughs) who built this this miniature sort of set for us with um I think as much leftover stuff from Sword in the Stone and the, all of the castle paraphernalia and lots of Merlin stuff behind us. And then we had the big throne room and we had these big books and we're in these kind of like cloaks and things. And it, and it was all very, very tiny because the camera angle was, was really, really tight. So it was this, this small area that it was just filled with, with stuff. And like I say, it was, yeah, it was like being on CBB's bedtime and then just sitting sitting in there with a big oh my god it was like being on it was like all of my childhood ambitions of being on Jack and Ori as well there I am sitting in a big chair in a fancy costume with a big book telling a story it was it was lovely I really really loved that yeah yeah I really like just going back to the live final thing for a minute I, I really um it's a, the really good thing about the sort of outreach theatre that you do get imme- an immediate sense of making a difference to other people's lives just with little comments or uh, that that people make at after the show that you do uh, i remember uh, uh, when we did the the fat night in um, 
the Millwright Arms in Aylesbury, and there was a family there having some dinner, and and, and one of the children had said to asked his mum if if they could go to the theatre, you know. And I thought, you know, we've made a real difference there in actually encouraging people to think about going to the theatre. We might never have been or wouldn't normally go. And same thing with the um, with the uh, the live final there in terms of uh, just seeing the joy of uh, of people, which you don't really you don't really get that uh, that often in in live theatre production. Normally, because the the, th- the audience are in the dark and and they may enjoy it and say that they do uh, on social media posts afterwards. But there's a much more of an immediacy about that stuff, isn't there? When you're uh, you're, you're right there in front of people. So one last question, and related to the history stuff. So uh, to to everybody, uh, we always seem to have these uh, hints at you know what Unbound might be doing in the future. Which character from history would you most like to play? Gareth, go first. Who would you most like to play out of everybody? Out of everybody in history, ooh. Do you know? I I think I'd I'd like to sort of go and uh, this is a sort of precursor to um, a project that we're going to be doing. Go back to Greek times and play one of the. Uh, play one of the characters from there, sort of ancient Greek. So, like, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to play one of the ancient Greek philosophers, so, like, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, that kind of thing, and sort of do some some stuff based on them. Yeah. Uh, Katie? Katie, what about Viking. you? Viking. I just want a big sword and just come and just <laughs> slash yeah. everything, burn it. <clears throat> get in, yeah. get in uh, Yeah, just yeah. no messing around. Turn up. They were very successful, to be fair to them. They did very well. <laughs> you know, they're on their little ships. They came over. They took over. They had a lovely time. So, yeah, Viking. I think that'd be awesome. I can just see you with it, you know, with the pigtails and the axe there with the, the helmet yeah. with the, the helmet on the top. Yeah, Excellent. that'd be awesome. They didn't actually wear helmets with horns. Oh, I listened to a podcast the other day, and I was like, "Why would you ruin this no, but for me?" When, I mean, thank you for teaching me. But when we did it, they will be wearing the, the the helmets with the horns, and we'll probably make a joke about the fact that they then can't use them. So we'll sort of give give Katie that brief moment of having one, and then it's like, "Yeah, but they didn't wear them." Was it the oh. costume designer for an opera from one of Wagner's operas that that created all um, that? That's yeah, yeah, yes, yes, that is what it is because you couldn't see them at the back. Oh. Yeah, so they created the horn so they could be seen from the back at performances. Oh, something else I've learned working with Unbound. So, Erica, how about you? I think when I was little, I'm very much with Katie on having a big sword. Yes, please. So possibly when I was little, yeah. it would either be um, like maybe like uh, Maid Marian with a sword um, or uh, Joan of Arc with a sword. Um, now Nowadays, <laughs> I'm thinking possibly I'd, I'd quite like to do Elizabeth I, um, you know, take big speeches yeah. about having swords um but then also something else uh, um uh being one of the pirates mary reed or Anne bonnie one of those lady pirates please so there's a there's a theme of you know violence yeah. through all of those erica you want to comment Advent- on that no adventure mr aldington <laughs> <laughs> Ad- adventure basically yeah just give all the women weapons. It'll be fine. It'll Katie, be Katie's fine. the one who was right? talking about rampaging and, you know, raiding and stuff. I, you know. Oh, yeah, 100%. I'll be in there rampaging. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, Emily, are you going to join this band of marauding adventurers or... Uh... I'm definitely fascinated by female pirates. I think it's a really interesting thing. (laughs) Yeah, female pirates. But I'm also, I've always been fascinated with Greek myths. So there is that. That's not a hint, don't worry. But I really like anything we do in history because anything 
it's just cool. It's just cool to know that these things existed and we're bringing them back for life yeah, just yeah. for a minute. Andy, what about you? Any thoughts on who you'd want to play? Ooh, well, so many people probably. Uh, Kurt, Kurt Cobain. Perhaps. Well, I was thinking along the lines of how you know, how recent history could it be? Something like maybe Jim Morrison or uh, or even yeah. David Bowie or something like that. Some some awesome rock star that uh, yeah. kind of inspired yeah. me to sort of be part of well, who I am in a way. But um, maybe definitely David Bowie would be a good one because he was a yeah. performer as much as a musician as well, which is... And he, he did feature another person that visited Aylesbury, allegedly. Indeed, yes, yeah, so there's that connection, yeah. Yeah, he played at the Friars. Yeah, he created yeah, yeah. Ziggy Stardust at the Friars, didn't he? Mm. He certainly was there. And yeah. There you go. There's a basis there, Andy. And then he got turned into a statue, and that's where he's... So, uh, yeah, and I suppose for me, <laughs> asking the question, was, I think I'd like to play maybe one of the, you know, one of the great leaders, of, probably of recent history, so maybe, um, I don't know, some of the leaders who've, uh, you know, understanding what makes them tick. So people like uh, Winston Churchill or maybe, I, I don't think I could do the accent, but Bill Shankly or um, uh, one of the other great great football managers, perhaps. I've done Henry VIII, of course, many times, but <laughs> no, I think, there are, I think there are just as interesting leaders in, in recent history as there have been in the, in the past. Yeah, but we haven't got a costume. So now it's Winston Churchill during his Henry VIII <laughs> period. We've got some pirate stuff left over from Treasure Island, so you know, Lady Pirates on the go. Yeah, Lady Pirates. Well, <laughs> one thing that we have learned is. We have got a shitload of potential lady pirates in the company. So, so um, moving on then to the other production that we we're going to talk about today, Captain Christmas. So performed in the Friar Square Shopping Centre in Aylesbury uh, just before Christmas, uh, logically <laughs> enough. Written by Dario Knight and Gareth Johnson and sponsored by Aylesbury Town Council. So, so Gareth, again, um, you were the co-writer here with, uh, with Dario. What's the storyline of the famous story now of Captain Christmas? And how did you come up with it? So the story of Captain Christmas is it all starts with the nefarious Dr. Sprout in her lair, um, lamenting over the fact that no one likes Sprouts at Christmas. And this has sort of you know, caused a real anger to boil up inside her. And so she you know, hatches this scheme where she's going to invent a Sprout Ray to turn every part of Christmas dinner and I think possibly at one point everything in the world into sprouts. Um, and, you know, in order to do this, she needs to sort of find a power source to power up the device and allow it to operate at full strength to be able to do that. But luckily, the spirit of Christmas dinner is there to guide Captain Christmas, who is the superhero of the day, um, and guide Captain Christmas to figure out what Dr. Sprout is doing and how to stop her. And then it ends with the the big confrontation and spoiler alert captain christmas saves the day ooh, ooh. <laughs> so it's all it's all good cartoon stuff really isn't it yeah and when you put it like that it sort of that seems like a really out there bizarre plot but i think the thing was that once you got the the basic premise of it's about dr sprout and she's got this plan to turn all of christmas dinner into sprouts a lot of the rest of the plot really does follow your natural superhero tropes. So you've got the fact that Captain Christmas, um, you know, has her, sort of her, you know, double identity, her secret identity. And then she's, you know, 
in this relationship with the hapless Bob, who she, you know, always, you know, they sort of, she's then got to disappear off and save the day. And he's, you know, standing there hopeless and confused, not knowing what's going on. And sort of things like, you know, finding the power source, the legume diamond. Again, that's just straight out of any superhero film. The big villain's got to steal the important MacGuffin in order to be able to power their device. It's just kind of it all all comes from those superhero tropes after that point. Yeah, so it's a, it's a traditional good versus evil, good triumphs over evil story, which we have at Christmas time in pantos around the, around the country, I suppose. So, Katie, um, that's this sort of style of theatre, this sort of cartoon, cartoon character style. Uh, how much fun is it doing that sort of thing? And what, what are the challenges of... Uh, of playing these sort of uh, outlandish characters. It's nice just to have fun with something, just to go out there, have a good time. Um, The audience get really involved in it with something like that. They feel like they can get involved. They feel like they can talk to you and they kind of, you know, you can interact with them. The the challenging part, I suppose, is the choreography, because quite often with that, there's a bit of slapstick and there's a bit of physical um, action as well. So you have to have that choreography when you're having uh, at one point Erica and I had a sword fight but not really a sword fight because um you had a you had a proper weapon didn't you Erica I had a lightsaber yeah because you know any opportunity to shoehorn Star Wars in Mm -hmm. yeah no it was it was a lightsaber yeah and I had a roll of wrapping paper (laughs) and I had to beat you (laughs) so uh that side of things is the challenging bit remembering that yeah, you have to, you know, go step forward on this bit and lunge at that bit and, you know, throw this or move that and those kind of bits and pieces. Yeah. That side of things is the more challenging bit, really. Yeah, and the audience are right up, are yeah. right on top of you in that sort of environment, aren't they? They were right in front of us. So, so uh, challenging to make it real and keep the energy going. Erica, what do you think about that sort of... Uh, theatre what are the challenges for you oh i love it it is high octane high energy but you've got to be you've got to be really kind of controlled with it as as well and as katie said there was a lot of choreography even down to um because you know we are in a very very busy shopping center we're using a lot of visual gags so um katie was talking about the uh, the, the the sword fight at the end i actually remember rehearsing with alice a bit where we just had to do like a double take we kind of had to cross the stage in sync together stop do a lean and then turn around and do a double take and we we spent a long time just like stepping trying to get it in sync and then how do we turn and how do we lean and and how far does she lean into me and how do we go backwards without falling over and to get it you know right every single time you almost have to go through that choreography so that it becomes muscle memory so that you're constantly going over the stuff and in some ways it becomes rehearsals like that become mechanical but then once you get it you breathe it life into it and then you can add like little looks and things and then it it looks spontaneous and just off the cuff but then really really clever to an audience and and that's what that's what I love I like I like being able to put the mechanics in structure behind it to make it look effortless where in actual fact rehearsals are can be quite rigorous in that respect but also I just remember laughing my head off at the most ridiculous things um I can't even tell you what anything was now but I just remember either standing in the wings or being on stage and just kept getting the giggles all the time. I blame uh-huh. Katie, I think, for most of it. But um... 
<laughs> I blame Katie and Alice for most of it, I, I think. Um, but yeah, just, I just... blame the person that decided that I should go past on an office chair. That's what I blame. <laughs> oh my God, yes! <laughs> <laughs> flying Health and safety. Flying? Yeah. Shh. Just push it, just push it. She'll be Seemed fine, like... just push it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time and perfectly plausible. Perfectly plausible. Andy, what, what do you think? Uh, what, uh, what do you find the challenge? I mean, you had... You had two quite different parts in this uh, in this thing, didn't you? At least so you you were Bob and uh, the spirit of Christmas uh, dinner. So how did you find it? Um, I found um, it was a lot lot of fun to play both of those. I found the the playing Bob. Um, I remember in rehearsals, I initially sort of gave him you know aimed to give him a really wacky, cartoonish kind of voice, and uh, and I was you know, directed quite rightly to to tone him back down and just be a bit more of a a regular character <laughs> <laughs> and I thought how do I do that but it was absolutely the right call because you need to make space for the other more cartoonish characters out there so then conversely the other character I had um was uh, the spirit of Christmas dinner and he had to f- sort of fill the stage with his presence really I think the best way <laughs> the best way I could do that was just to stand as big as I could really just take up as much space and uh, be as big a character as, as I could. So one of, one of the things about this performance as well was there we were in the shopping centre with with the, the, the good folk of Aylesbury going about their Christmas shopping and all the other things going on. So how do we, um, uh, how do we get on with the balancing of doing our characters but needing to project above the hubbub of what's happening? Erica, you're a, you're a voice specialist. What, what are your tips for that sort of thing? Making it big and bold I mean I think I um I think I actually completely knackered my voice on that day um because not only was I doing the 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 shows of Captain Christmas there was also I was also doing um there was some Christmas event fundraising going on so I was having to change costumes and then doing other things as well and then switching backwards and forwards um so to do a show in a shopping center as well so if you're doing something in the open air um You've you've got to try and get it out to the audience, but then in the shopping centre you've got so many echoes to get over, and I think that was that was the biggest yes. um, difficulty as well. And it gets to the point where you, where you realise you either have to be incredibly bold and and almost shout the stuff to get it people to notice you at first, and then subtlety of, of voice just goes out the window, and you just try to be as bold and as as big with your gestures as you can. I think every single photograph of me from that day is is with my arms at a weird or very outstretched big angle and then sometimes if you've got some kids on the front row you can like lean forward yeah. and, and direct it to them but you're, you're trying to get people's attention and then trying to get the the story out and so um being big bold and and simple um so i had the the voice that i had had this mostly trying to get people's attention with my maniacal laugh and at every opportunity just cackling to make pe- to get people's attention and also hopefully get them to laugh at it too. Yeah. So uh, uh, you really got to have maximum audience involvement and you get the audience as close as close as you dare really um to bind them in haven't you to to get their attention above all the other things that are going on around them. So and th- this production as well the um the the production process was very short. It was quite a short um, rehearsal uh, time, I think. Um, Gareth, what were the highlights of the production uh, for you? How did you how did you find 
such a, uh, a rapid fire uh, rehearsal process. Yeah, I mean, I think the sort of the rapid rehearsal process works really well for these um, these slightly shorter um, productions because because it's only sort of half an hour. It means that you've got a few things to concentrate on, but you can really dedicate the time needed still within a short amount of time to getting those finessed. You know, sorting out all the business and the the fun little you know bits of business that you do throughout the thing. So, you know, highlights for me were just all of those little physicalities. I mean, the you know the lightsaber battle and the the snowball fight and yeah, as you say, yeah. Katie going whizzing across the stage, flying on an on an office chair. Sort of, we had enough time to devote to then getting those things right, even with that that shorter rehearsal time, and it. It just means that you can fit, you know, fit these smaller projects in amongst the sort of larger, you know, larger sort of two hour projects that we also do, you know, sometimes simultaneously to these ones. Yeah. And could it be over rehearsed? Do you think there's a risk that it becomes too mechanical if you do too much rehearsal? I mean, I think it's it's so big that, yeah, you want to retain your energy and your excitement to to play the characters and you want to then focus the the rehearsals on the complex bits the bits that need precise movement yeah and then the bits where you've just got to be the character and have fun with it yeah those can sort of be left to just you know your knowledge and you know inhabiting of the character and don't need that constant going over whereas if you need to know exactly i step on you know, I step at this point and you step back and then you raise your wrapping paper and then I'm backwards with a lightsaber over the back of my head. You know, that's the bit that you then need to, to rehearse and make sure works. It's in between the sort of the, the choreographed set pieces, if you like. It's the energy of the characters that, that carries you over um, for, all of, for, all of the other, for all of the other bits and for all of the, the, the storytelling as well. I think for a short rehearsal process like this, you need to be working with people who, the moment they get the script, they look at it, read it through and sort of start getting the characters. And I remember um, the first, well, one of the first messages that um, I got back from Erica sort of saying, is this okay for Dr. Sprout? And you've sort of fully got the costume and you're sort of <laughs> doing a pose that is just, that just captures what the character is all about. And you just think, wow, you, you've done three quarters of the work before we've even started the rehearsal process because you get this character. Yeah. What about you, Andy? How did you find the rehearsal process in the short time frame? Yeah, it, um, it, it puts uh, a good bit of kind of healthy pressure on to, to make it to make you work harder to get it from the off really because even though it's a short thing you could be mistaken to think oh, it's only a short thing it's going to be really easy only a few lines but really there's so much stuff in the detail and the characterization that that is um important to to put the put the effort in um but also i found yeah not knowing exactly where we were going to be um I, I do like to kind of picture the space i'm going to be performing in so if it's in the limelight, perfect. I already know it. If it's in Friar Square, well, I've kind of got an idea of how it looks. I've, you know, I've walked through there several times in my life, but um, not knowing exactly where we're going to be and how the people are going to be laid out and things like that. So I think for me, it was really important to have the space we were going to be using kind of replicated in the rehearsal room so that I could really sort of gauge where I needed to be at any one time. And there weren't many spaces you had to be because it was just... Uh, 
the um, the kind of banner thing, which was our back of the stage, uh, and then we had you know we're behind yeah. either behind yeah. there, you know, changing for me changing between Bob and the Spirit of Christmas dinner or knowing which side had to go out and what was going to be there on the other side if there's going to be a plinth in the way or if there's going to be you know an office chair being wheeled from one place to another it's for me it's really important to know exactly where everything's going to be no matter how small it is to to make it successful and how did you get on with drawing the audience in when you were actually performing in the shopping center and projecting your voice and that sort of stuff over the hubbub that was going on how did you get on with that um i i did worry about it to be honest because um knowing it was going to be a noisy space as well as anything. And you've got general people walking past and, uh, and then you've obviously got loads of kids um, potentially shouting and, and pointing and screaming, but I actually found it okay because having, having done all the, the hard work beforehand, I was able to really focus on, on what I was doing. Um, but also you kind of, you kind of feed off the audience and of the three performances we did, I think all of them were kind of, you had a few kind of hyped up kids there and they, they were really into it. So if you focus on those handful of kids that are completely sold into the story you're telling, and then that's it. Once that kind of bond is made between performer and audience, then it really does sort of help to, to block out everything else that's going on there. So um, in terms of protecting the voice, I think um, it's kind of important not to really overdo it. And I think, again, just focusing in on the, the handful that are really into into the story and possibly catching their eye and and projecting to them they're only a few feet away really um rather than trying to yeah. fill you don't want to try and fill an entire shopping center you're never going to compete with that kind of background but um yeah just just keeping it, it's the finesse really just keeping it straight in front of you yeah i think from my stand i was the mayor and i think i i was having to make sort of vast pronouncements and i, I did find that quite quite strange it did quite difficult to uh to grab everybody's uh, everybody's attention, but um, yeah, you've got to connect with one or two people in in the audience to try and draw mm. draw in the, the crowd that's there. Yeah. So, what everybody's highlights of production, Gareth? What was your overriding memory of Captain Christmas? Uh, I've got to say that the final epic battle between Captain Christmas and uh, and Doctor Sprout has got to be the uh, the highlight for me. <laughs> Andy, <laughs> I think um, having having kids actually trying to help as well. Uh, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I think there was a kid trying to point out where where Professor Sprout was, and, and I think they they were coming to the side of the stage and they're going, "Look, the, 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 there she is," kind of thing. Yeah. I think that that is brilliant. That's the why. Well, yes, why she, lit- yeah. she literally yeah. came round the yeah. side and sort of said to me, "No, no, no, I know where she is. Follow me." I was like, yeah, okay. saying, yeah. <laughs> Katie, what was your highlight? Um, well, probably moving away from the actual thing because I think it, I enjoyed you know the same things as the other guys, but um. Yeah, because we were there was an event kind of going on as well. There were other performers, so I remember at one point having a conversation with a stormtrooper and a Disney princess. And that was quite fun. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> Who needs drugs? <laughs> Erica, your your highlights. Oh, of the show? Uh, it's, it's so much. I think um, I think it's that feedback because it was very kind of pantomime comic thing, and it's that feedback where you either say something, and you know, I got to play the villain, which is always wonderful. And having that moment where the kids, you, you look out at the audience and you pull a face and the kids are all like going, boo, and it's like, no, 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 booze, no, you will not because I am Dr. Sprout. 
and and they kind of you know they, they love to wind you up and and i love being wound up in that and they would get me they would get the character all all irritated and i'd have to stomp off in a huff or something and yeah just, just lovely moments of those connections because it was such you know it, it is a ridiculous story that everyone just kind of threw themselves into and was so much fun to play i just remember having face ache for most of it because it was it was a lot of fun to do a lot of laughter and then, yeah, as Katie says, it was quite surreal because immediately after we finished, I think we had Anna and Elsa come out to do a selection of Disney songs. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> and then we had yeah. various other characters, Star Wars characters wandering around at this fundraising event. So it was, it was a very surreal mix of all of us. Yeah, it was. It was. My, my, uh, my, my favourite memory is a simple little bit of uh, physical humour, just where I... I open up the, I lift up a cloche and there's a, there's a sprout there instead of a diamond. And I, I just love that very simple, unexpected, you know, it's a bit of touch of the sort of Morecambe and Wise, you know, lift up the cover and slap it back down again. Or the, the Basil Fawlty kind of, uh, you know, oh, oh it's, not, it's not a duck, it's a trifle, that kind of moment. I, I just love that simple, just simple humour. Is is for me? It's just genius, and if and if you time it right, you, it it's just hilarious. So uh, that was that was my little highlight. And lifting the cloche up again to see if it had changed. That's right. Yeah, just if I do it again, it might it might turn into a diamond again. You know? I might not be living in this nightmare. I was just going to say I was doing the craft activity nearby. And I was opposite, and I swear, every time they came up while you guys were on stage, I was like, can you just go watch? I just want to watch this. <laughs> like, and the thing is, obviously, you guys did it more than once, and I watched the rehearsal, but I still nearly lost fingers giggling away, where I'm supposed <laughs> to be cutting a snowflake, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> so it was, it was good to watch while I was doing something as well, and it was genuinely so funny. So um, now, find the big question, though. Brussels sprouts, yes or no? It's Emily, Brussels sprouts for you at Christmas, yes or no? If they're done not boringly, you don't have to boil it. Like there are other things you can do with sprouts. So yes, if done properly. Gareth, I I would agree with that. It's kind of as long as they're not mushy and horrible and you know bitter, then sprouts, hurrah! Excellent, Katie. I have never had a bad sprout. <laughs> oh, mm. me neither. Me neither, Erica. Oh, I think I'm, it's going to be like completely different and opposite to my character here. But um, no, Brussels sprouts go into my... They're the same category as peas for me, which is they are small, round, green and evil. Can't stand them. <gasps> oh, God. Good heavens. Andy, please rescue us all from this... Uh... Well, I like a, I like yes. a good amount of uh, salt and pepper. And if you could stick them in the oven and roast them for a good 20 to 30 minutes, bring them back out and then stick a load of uh, olive oil on them. Maybe put some chopped garlic in and give it a good old zhuzh around. And uh, there we go. They're, they are evil no more. They are amazing. Yeah, well, if we there ever need go, to Erica. release the Unbound Cookbook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, next week on, Cooking with Andy Shaw. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. Yeah. For those, for those who like well, diarrhea. <laughs> Well, there's uh, something to look forward to. Thanks, Andy. Uh, well, and those reflections on Brussels sprouts and other matters bring us to the end of this episode. So thank you all for your thoughts and your memories. And thank you to everyone who's listening in. For more episodes of Tell Great Stories and lots of other great audio and video content, head over to unboundtheatre.co.uk or look up at Unbound Theatre on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or SoundCloud. Thank you.
like to introduce yourselves, folks? Hi, I'm Andy Shaw, and I... Who the f*** did I play? <laughs> <laughs> I sent an edit. <laughs> <laughs> Who did I play? I can't remember. You played Brian. The Spirit of Christmas Dinner. Yeah, Spirit of Christmas Dinner, I was going to say second, and then the first and, one was... And Katie's Boyfriend. Katie's oh, Boyfriend, yes. that'll do. Yeah, I can't remember what your name is. Oh, neither can I. It's probably something generic. Some... What about Broccoli? Who was Broccoli? No, they don't. No, that, was, that, was, um, that was Alice. Hang on, I've got, I've got the script on my computer somewhere if anyone wants Wait, to know Brian. the name. <laughs> yeah, who was he? Was it, was it Brian? I, d- I don't think it was. Right, Captain Craig, and I'm loading up. Doesn't feel I'm like loading a Brian. up the script. Although, when, when did you appear? Oh, you paid Bob. Bob, You'd... that was it. Oh, yes. I... Brought me a sandwich. <laughs> That's it. I knew it began with a B. <laughs> Excellent. So obviously a very memorable Christmas show for you, Andy, then. So. <laughs> okay. So a uh, brief history of Britain, then. So... We may want to re-record an Andy introduction. 